it's a hackable machine that does not protect the vote, but it's also a procurement nightmare where we're gonna see self-enrichment on the state level, similar to what we're watching happen on the federal level. Oh, cool. Even better. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California. Also in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. It's not just California, though. It's also Oregon, where we are on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, and New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KBGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com with too damn much to cover today, Desi Doyen. Yeah, I know we always say this, but boy, it does seem like it's getting faster and faster it and is. more and more. All right, so none of your yip-yapping. I've <laughs> no. got to get right to it. <laughs> we have finally found a Democrat who is not running for president this year. That would be... Uh, Uh, Attorney General Eric Holder, who after months of speculation and teasing, says he will not seek the Democratic nomination for president in 2020. He will continue his work instead to fight for uh, to fight against, I should say, the unconstitutional redistricting that we have seen in many states across the country. He says he will do everything I can to ensure that the next Democratic president is not hobbled by a House of Representatives pulled to the extremes by members from gerrymandered districts. Well, thank you, Mr. Holder. I think that's a swell idea. He currently serves as the chair of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, and his uh, good work towards that uh, end is very much needed. At the same time that Holder says he is out, another Democrat has, in fact, jumped in today, John Hickenlooper, the two-time Colorado governor, who the New York Times reports has overseen Colorado's remarkable economic expansion, declared his candidacy for president on Monday. Hickenlooper is 67 years old. He's a socially progressive pro-business Democrat. As the Times describes him, he has called himself a, quote, extreme moderate he had long said he was considering a run. I'm sorry, that doesn't make sense, but okay, extreme moderate. That's what he says. 
His uh, biggest challenge, the paper notes, will be distinguishing himself as an extreme moderate in what is sure to be a packed field of potentially history-making candidates and deep-pocketed household names. In his announcement today, he said the nation had entered a crisis of division. He said, I think it's probably the worst period of division we've had in this country since the Civil War. Ultimately, I'm running for president, he said, because I believe that not only can I beat Donald Trump, but I am the person that can bring people together on the other side and actually get stuff done. He said the division is keeping us from addressing big issues like climate change and the soaring costs of health of care. But progressives in the state are critical of Hickenlooper's environmental legacy, arguing he has not gone far enough in regulating the state's powerful oil and gas industry. Some have faulted him for failing to push well projects out of their neighborhoods. Hickenlooper has been so eager to promote the industry, the Times notes, that he once drank fracking fluid. Yes, did. Did you know did. that? Yeah, yes. Really? Yep. Well, uh, he said it was yeah. fracking fluid. Uh, Hickenlooper said he plans to run as a, quote, pragmatic progressive, a candidate with extensive executive experience in a primary field of many senators. He says as a kid with uh, Coke bottle glasses and a funny last name, he has stood up to his share, his fair share of bullies. And thus he thinks he can take on Donald Trump. He enters a field uh, to join 13 others who have already announced their candidacies for the Democratic nomination, and uh, we could see more in the weeks ahead, including other moderates like Joe Biden and uh, former Governor Steve Bullock of Montana and Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, to name just a few here. But even as the 2020 race heats up, as we have been reporting for longer than I will mention right now, <laughs> uh, jurisdictions around the country are now Moving to all new 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, even as cybersecurity and voting systems experts are begging them, begging them not to. Keep that in mind when we get to a Democratic primary with 13, 15, 20 candidates uh, on the ballot. Who's going to know who actually won and who actually lost? Now, the good news here is that some national news outlets are finally catching on to this. And reporting what we have been yelling and screaming about for so long on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com about these systems. Uh, one of those places seemingly now set to move to such a system, uh, if Republicans and some Democrats have their way, is the state of Georgia, which we've been covering uh, very closely, this uh, fight against these systems in recent months. We will be joined by a guest on the ground today where the uh, state Senate is holding a hearing regarding adopting these all-new 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems to replace the state's 17-year-old 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems. Uh, and that has a bunch of folks quite concerned and a bunch of others in a panic to get all of this done for some reason really quickly before the 2020 presidential election. So we are going to talk about that momentarily as we've got some new developments there. And, of course, we've got a boatload of political news to get to today as well as the Trump era continues to unravel. And finally, Democrats are able to join the battle in earnest. 
But first, um, speaking of the environment, Des, yes. uh, the environment seems to be unraveling. I should say seems to be unraveling as well. Rescue crews continue to search for victims on Monday amid homes that were smashed to their foundations, shredded metal dangling from trees, dead animals lying in the open after at least one tornado ripped through a rural Alabama community, killing at least 23 people, including a number of children. It was the deadliest day of tornadoes in the U.S. in nearly six years. And tornado season 2019 has barely begun. This is in Beauregard, Alabama, community of about 10,000 people, uh, about 60 miles east of Montgomery, rural corner of the same county that is home to Auburn University. It was an EF3 twister with winds believed to be around 136 miles per hour. Actually, since it has been upgraded to an EF4 oh, has at it? this point, yes. Okay, well, yeah, it was wildly uh, <clears throat> powerful, clearly, and it was the single uh, highest single death toll from tornadoes in the U.S. since May 2013 when an EF5 twister killed 24 people in Moore, Colorado. Uh, there was quotes here from uh, AP, uh, a, a woman and her husband who took shelter in a bathtub as the twister lifted their house off the ground and swept it into the woods. They survived. They said they knew they were flying because it picked up the house. She said that uh, her son-in-law later dug them out from under the rubble. Uh, The sheriff said that children were among the dead. We don't yet know how many. So a killer tornado in early March, that seems very early, is it It, not? It it is generally early, but it is not completely unusual for there to be an early March tornado outbreak in that Alabama, Mississippi uh, area. So that's not that unusual in that specific area, according to tornado experts. And just because people are asking this question already, the research on global warming's influence on tornadoes is mixed. So We don't know if it makes them more frequent, less frequent. It does seem to make them more intense, as in we'll be seeing more Mm. frequent, more intense EF4s and EF5s. more powerful, yeah. So so that's where (sighs) that is. All right. Very quickly, uh, some news that broke over the weekend before we get to some of the news that has uh, broken today. The U.S. military is preparing to announce that annual large-scale joint exercises conducted with South Korea every spring will no longer be held. According to U.S. defense officials who spoke to NBC, the major U.S.-South Korea exercises are being curtailed as part of the Trump administration's effort to ease tensions with North Korea, the officials said. And what is the U.S. and Donald Trump getting in um In kind from North Korea, apparently absolutely nothing at all. Apparently North Korea is continuing their own uh, military exercises, uh, their winter exercises with as many as uh, a million troops are coming together even now, even as we speak. This after the uh, summit last week with Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un in Hanoi, Vietnam, was cut short with no agreement. So uh, despite that, Kim Jong-un is now getting a gift from the U.S. with no concessions of his own in return. 
Now, normally I would be for uh, all for less militarism. And in fact, I am here as well. But many are justifiably concerned that in this high stakes situation, like dealing with nuclear armed North Korea, the fact that we appear at least to be giving things up without getting anything in return when there is a lot that must be done in order to denuclearize North Korea, if that is ever to happen. Uh, that is worrying to a lot of experts in the region that uh, some of the bargaining chips are already being given away with nothing to show for it in return. On the domestic political front, the great dealmaker Donald Trump is about to face another embarrassment, this time with some help from his own party for a change. Senator Rand Paul uh, indicated on Saturday that he would, in fact, join three other Republican senators in voting against Donald Trump's declaration of a national emergency meant to secure more funds for a border wall, which Congress had rejected. And this will likely force Donald Trump to have to use his veto power for the first time if he wants the emergency declaration to stay in place. Paul was quoted by the Bowling Green New, uh, Daily News speaking at the Southern Kentucky Lincoln Day dinner on Saturday saying, quote, I can't vote to give the president more power to spend money that has not been approved by Congress. He added, we may want more money for border security, but Congress didn't authorize it. If we take away those checks and balances, it's a dangerous thing. We'll see if Paul actually does vote against Trump's declaration. If he does, he won't be alone. He'll be voting along with some other Republicans who have said they will vote against the measure, including Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Arkansas, and Tom Tillis of North Carolina. Trump has said he will veto the resolution if it uh, arrives on his desk. Uh, it has already passed in the House of Representatives. 232 Democrats and 13 Republicans voted to block that uh, that move in the uh, in the U.S. House. And now the Senate has about another two weeks in which they must hold a vote. No filibusters allowed here, according to the National Emergencies Act. So we'll see. Uh, there are other senators who are thought uh, likely to vote or I should say who are considering voting against Trump's declaration as well, including Jerry Moran of Kansas, Ted Cruz of Texas. Yeah, we'll see. Marco Rubio of Florida, Roy Blunt of Missouri and Cory Gardner of Colorado, as well as Lamar Alexander of Tennessee and Mike Lee of Utah. So there could be quite a few uh, senators voting against Donald Trump here, though likely not enough to overcome a veto if that happens. But the big domestic political news on Monday is likely very bad news for Donald Trump, and it comes out of Democrats in the U.S. House. House Democrats uh, sent more than 80 letters Monday to more than 80 people and institutions demanding documents from family members, business associates, political confidants and others with connections to Donald Trump, opening a sprawling investigation of whether he and his administration have engaged in obstruction of justice, corruption and abuse of power. We need an investigation for that. Yeah, we do. Uh, at least if there's going to uh, move towards impeachment, the most far reaching request since Democrats took control of the House, according to Washington Post, underscored lawmakers determination to hold Trump and those around him accountable for 
the controversies during his first two years in office and perhaps lay the groundwork for impeachment proceedings. House Judiciary Chair Jared Nadler, where any such impeachment proceedings would begin, said we will act quickly to gather this information, assess the evidence, and follow the facts where they lead with full transparency with the American people. The uh, inquiries touch on everything from the president's business dealings with Russia to multiple controversies regarding the firing of former FBI Director James Comey, hush money payments made to women, uh, many of the same uh, issues that are already being looked at by both uh, Robert Mueller, special counsel, and the Southern District of New York, the federal prosecutors there. Those receiving letters requesting documents from the House Judiciary Committee include, among many others, the president's two eldest sons, Donald Trump Jr. and Eric Trump, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, his former personal secretary, Rona Graff, Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer of the Trump Organization, former White House aides, Hope Hicks, Sean Spicer, Steve Bannon, They're all being called on to cough up documents here, uh, along with a lot of other folks. Uh, These folks have two weeks to comply with the request, after which Nadler had said if they don't answer, they will begin the subpoena process. There is, uh, and, and this is just in the Judiciary Committee, the House Oversight and Reform Committee, the one that received testimony from Michael Cohn last Wednesday. They have given the White House until Monday now to respond to documents Uh, surrounding the White House security clearance process after uh, news reports that Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, was denied security clearance by uh, professionals at the FBI and was overridden by Donald Trump. Also, the House Ways and and Means Committee uh, is about to request Donald Trump's tax returns so things are about to get very investigative in the U.S. House with uh, now under Democratic control. I suspect that will keep us busy oh, for the next couple of weeks, months, maybe even years. Uh, speaking of keeping us busy for a whole bunch of years, uh, this fight to have overseeable, verifiable elections in the U.S. I know, I know, seems like a crazy idea that makes me uh, just far out of the mainstream uh, as the uh, new Secretary of uh, State of Georgia described people who are demanding hand-marked paper ballots instead of computer-marked, well, I guess we have to call them ballots. Anyway, uh, he says that uh, folks like me are way out of the mainstream. Really? Quick break, and we'll come back and talk about that and the new developments on the ground in Georgia today with Marilyn Marks, who was there. Uh, We got a whole lot ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news 
five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The national media, I am very happy to say, uh, the national media has finally at least begun to notice what we have been warning you about when it comes to these new 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that many, including Democrats, by the way, insanely, are pushing for in a number of key voting jurisdictions across the country in advance of the 2020 presidential race. So this is not necessarily anything new here, I suppose, if you're a regular listener to the Bradcast or reader of bradblog.com, where I have been yelling and screaming about these so-called computer ballot marking devices for at least 10 years. Ever since the Democratic congressman at the time, and ironically enough, an actual rocket scientist, uh, Congressman Rush Holt of New Jersey, told me directly that he would like every voter in the U.S. to vote on BMD systems. Those are computer-marked systems. They can't be verified by human beings after an election. And I had explained that to the congressman over and over at the time that they would be 100 percent unverifiable. And, um, you know, something that I, I couldn't even get the incredibly conservative cybersecurity and voting systems experts to admit it at the time. But happily, they pretty much all now do. So finally, the word is getting out, uh, but it may be too late in a bunch of parts of the country. As Politico's Eric uh, Geller picked up on this matter, finally, over the weekend, he writes, election officials in some states and cities are planning to replace their insecure voting machines with technology that is still vulnerable to hacking. Thank you, Mr. Geller. Uh, he notes the machines that Georgia, Delaware, Philadelphia, and perhaps many other jurisdictions will buy before 2020. Geller says, and uh, I don't agree with this part, but he says they are an improvement over the totally paperless devices that have generated controversy for more than 15 years. That, according to election security experts and voting integrity advocates. But those folks warn that these new machines still pose unacceptable risks in an election that U.S. intelligence officials expect to be a prime target for disruption by countries such as Russia and China. All right. So in that paragraph from uh, Mr. Geller there, uh, he doesn't mention either there or in the rest of the article which I should note is mostly good, but, you know, maybe I've lowered the bar considerably as I've waited for anyone in the national media to notice any of this at all. Nowhere in in the article does Geller note that Los Angeles County, my own county here and uh, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, has already decided to move to these unverifiable systems before the 2020 election. He also uh, does not note that the systems are not only easily targeted by foreign hackers, but also 
from both domestic hackers and far easier by election insider election officials and contractors who will be able to flip an election with these brand new systems with almost zero possibility of ever being discovered. So, yes, this is insane, and it's why I have been trying to warn about this for so long after also spending those same past 15 years warning about the existing wildly hackable and easily manipulated systems that nobody ever bothered to check even after the incredibly close 2016 presidential election. You know, the one with the surprise ending. No one ever bothered to check those machines to see if they had been manipulated, and many of those were hand-marked paper ballot systems. Now, the new machines, Geller explains, just like the ones they're replacing in Georgia and Delaware and Philadelphia, allow voters to use a touchscreen to select their choices and print out a slip of paper with the vote displayed in plain text and embedded in a barcode. A hard copy that, in theory, Geller writes, would make it harder for hackers to silently manipulate the results. Well, in theory, in theory, yeah, harder, uh, maybe slightly, but not much, if any. Uh, security experts warn that hackers could still manipulate the barcodes that are printed without voters noticing, since it's the barcodes that are counted by the system, not anything that is human readable that is printed on these paper ballot summary card printouts. The National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine has also warned against trusting these barcode based devices, saying they, quote, raise security and verifiability concerns. Yet that hasn't stopped some states from forging ahead, however, as they face pressure to retire their outdated paperless machines before the next presidential race. Uh, Geller uh, reports that the replacements are known as ballot marking devices or BMDs. And uh, quotes Alex Halderman, a voting security expert who teaches at the University of Michigan, who has been on the show several times over the years, beginning years ago. Halderman says it's concerning that jurisdictions are rushing to purchase them before even basic questions have been answered. Many states have adopted what experts call a much more secure option. That would be paper ballots that voters mark by hand with a pen that are then scanned and tallied. But election officials in Georgia, Delaware, and Philadelphia have rejected that option so far in favor of the barcode devices saying they are secure enough and better suited for many voters with disabilities. And, and, and I must note, uh, those of us who oppose these systems oppose their use for all voters. We don't oppose them uh, for, for voters with disabilities who may need to use a device like this. Uh, to be able to vote uh, privately and independently. But there is zero reason to force all voters to use them, and yet that is what is happening in Philadelphia, in Georgia, here in Los Angeles, in Delaware. Last week, uh, Georgia lawmakers in the State House of Representatives advanced a bill to approve the barcode devices in a 101-72 to 72 vote along party lines. Democrats tended to agree with the experts, the facts, those experts who have said that the machines are too vulnerable. The Georgia Senate held a, uh, a hearing on the bill today in a subcommittee on the bill HB 316. We'll be joined by Marilyn Marks shortly to find out how that went. 
Democratic Georgia State Rep Jasmine Clark told Politico, Right now, we do not have the ability to conduct conduct elections safely and securely and be able to correctly audit them. When it comes to people being able to make sure their vote is counted, she says, paper is the way to go. She should have added hand-marked paper. Because there's a lot of folks out there who are citing these systems as saying, look, they're paper, paper ballots. No, they're not. Republicans largely hailed the technology, Geller reports. A Republican state Congress uh, uh, state rep Barry Fleming said after the vote in the House last week, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, quote, we can put our voters first in Georgia and bring us into the 21st century with these new systems. In January, a commission created by the former Republican vote-suppressing Secretary of State, Brian Kemp, who is now the governor, recommended replacing the previous paperless, unverifiable touchscreen systems with these new barcode devices. Election security experts had urged the committee, however, to instead recommend a hand-marked paper ballot system. States, cities, and counties switching to new technology Geller writes, will probably have to live with their choices for years to come, given the expense and difficulty of changing systems. While election security advocates have suggested precincts use paper-based systems for most voters and a few ballot-marking devices with barcodes for people with disabilities, disability rights advocates say that setting aside special machines for them amounts to a discriminatory system. And here is where I, yes, am forced to go against some of these disability rights advocates. And just to point out, these are only some of these rights, not all of them. I have spoken to many of them over the years, and, and many do not agree with this assertion that everybody must vote on these devices simply because some disabled disabled voters choose to do so. I've tried to argue for years that, you know, just because we install a ramp or an elevator at City Hall, we don't get rid of the stairs that most people use. This argument from disabilities advocates uh, to force everybody to use unverifiable touchscreen systems is insane. It's illogical. If the systems are so fantastic, then they should be glad that they're getting a special system set aside for well, them rather than making everybody work on this, you know, substandard system that they seem to perceive. Duncan Buell, uh, the uh, computer scientist and, and voting system expert at University of South Carolina, says these barcode systems, quote, make a mockery of the notion that the ballot is voter verifiable. Matt Blaze, a computer science and law professor at Georgetown University, said it basically turns the system into one that has all of the well-known problems that paperless voting machines have. You have to trust the software that's being used to cast the vote. He says this bad ballot marking technology is a really unfortunate development, and it's one that I'm hopeful will not proliferate. Well, it would have been nice if Blaze had made those comments about 10 years ago when I was begging those Computer scientists like Matt Blaze and others to speak out about uh, these systems because now they, yes, are already proliferating and it may be too late to stop them. Blaze said he was puzzled as to why companies even made ballot marking devices that relied on barcodes. Well, you know, they make a lot more money if they can sell 10 or 20 machines per precinct rather than one single scanner per precinct that can scan everyone's hand-marked paper ballots. 
Blaze noted the consensus of experts has been pretty clear and pretty unanimous here. The best voting technology that's available is hand-marked paper ballots augmented where needed with human readable ballot marking technology. In a statement to Politico, ESNS, which is the nation's largest voting machine vendor and the supplier of most of these machines around the country, called their new systems, quote, thoroughly tested and proven. No, they are not. They said the same thing back when they made billions hoaxing the nation into buying their crappy paperless touchscreens after the Help America Vote Act back in 2002 authorized the systems used in still in Georgia today for billion dollars went out to the nation to buy some of these uh, systems that were not thoroughly tested and proven and have proven since to be wildly untested and hackable and prone to simple failure. Rich DeMillo, a professor at the Georgia Institute of Technology, also a guest on this show, not long ago said he worried that Georgia's and Philadelphia's ballot marking devices will be a step backward from their current notoriously insecure and unmanageable systems. In addition, Politico notes research by DeMillo and Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance and Georgia's uh, Georgia Tech's Robert Cadell has called into question the basic notion that ballot marking devices are secure based on the premise that voters will carefully review their computer-printed paper records somehow. Of course, we as voters can never know if they did that after an election. We can never know if anyone bothered to review those paper printouts or if they did, if they noticed any errors or problems with them. And I speak to this personally back in 2008 in the primary election out here in California, in Los Angeles. I used one of these systems to test to see how they worked. And four out of 12 of my votes in that primary were misprinted by the computer system, a system that is made uh, in many cases for blind voters uh, who would have never seen that the uh, system had misprinted their ballots. This study from DeMillo and Marx and uh, Cadell was uh, after talking to voters during the 2018 Tennessee primaries. Uh, we reported on that study uh, a few months back, uh, but Geller notes that the researchers there concluded that voters are disinclined to review paper trails printed uh, by the computers and that even when attempting to verify ballots, voters cannot accurately recall all of the prior choices and the full ballot contents, even if those choices were made only moments before. In other words, a race could even be missing from what they're trying to verify, and they wouldn't notice and it. And they wouldn't notice. That's, and, of course, they also can't read a barcode, but, you know. Yeah, I, th there is nothing good about this. And yet, for some reason, elections officials and uh, legislators now in the state of Georgia are moving forward with these systems. One of the uh, authors of that study I mentioned, Marilyn Marks, she was at the hearing in the Georgia State Senate committee today for this new bill, HB 316, which has already been approved by the House that would authorize well over $100 million for these new unverifiable systems across the entire state of Georgia before the 2020 presidential election. Marilyn Marks joins us next with news on how it went today in the state Senate and where we go from here. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Thank you.
What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Uh-huh. You can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know no. when I need it, no, I can't count you can't on count on anyone. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com, the least, least of which you can count on are elections officials in Georgia. The otherwise great state of Georgia. Democrat Stacey Abrams, who reportedly lost to former Secretary of State and champion vote suppressor Brian Kemp in her controversial race for governor last year, which Kemp oversaw and was was forced into court uh, time and time again, losing pretty much every single time. Uh, Abrams was on Chris Hayes's program on MSNBC a week or so ago, and this conversation happened at the very end of their discussion uh, regarding this election bill, HB 316, which is moving very quickly through the Georgia Senate, uh, which would uh, allocate all um, about $150 million or more for all new 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems across the state. Uh, the challenge here is that there are voting machines that are being sought by the governor, which would reward a company for whom his chief of staff, or deputy chief of staff, used to work approximately six months ago, and that his executive council advised. And so we believe that this is not only bad for Georgia because it's it's a hackable machine that does not protect the vote, but it's also a procurement nightmare where we're going to see self-enrichment on the state level, similar to what we're watching happen on the federal level. Wait, I'm sorry, just to, the voting machine contract to acquire voting machines... Yes. Uh, to a company that was represented by the deputy chief of staff of the sitting governor six months ago? I believe he was, I, I, I want to be fair about how soon I'll give him a buffer of six months. It may have been okay. six weeks. But yes, the deputy chief of staff for the sitting governor used to work for the very company that would be awarded a $150 well, million dollar contract if this procurement process is allowed to move forward. All right. Well, that. That raises some questions. I, I have some questions hearing yes. about that news. <laughs> Good. Glad you do, Chris Hayes. Hope you will cover this uh, a lot more on your show. Hope the other folks at MSNBC will take notice of what's going on here. Uh, Stacey Abrams, for her part, uh, regarding this bill that is moving very quickly forward, is holding a hearing on Tuesday night on this bill. Uh, since they're having trouble having uh, holding legitimate hearings in the uh, in the state legislature in Georgia. At the same time, Georgia's new Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, giving all Brads a bad name, I should note, has been very vocal about his support for this lengthy election bill that would overhaul how Georgians cast their ballots. This, according to WABE, that's Atlanta's NPR affiliate, uh, last week. Uh, as he pushes for lawmakers to pass this measure, Republican Secretary of State Raffensperger says the bill, HB 316, would require electronic machines that print paper ballots 
to be used statewide for in-person voting across the entire state. That would likely include a touchscreen similar to Georgia's failed current voting machines. Raffensperger said we're going to get more accurate election results. I think it's a more secure way moving forward, he said. I ran on that and I believe it. Cybersecurity experts, however, pretty much every single one of them that doesn't work for a voting technology company, says that uh, voting using touchscreen computers that print paper ballots expose elections to potential hacks or malfunctions because the system cannot be truly audited. They prefer hand-marked paper ballots counted by scanners and then deposited into a box for potential recounts. Many Republicans and some Democrats, but a lot of election officials, however, favor the touchscreen ballot markers or BMDs because they say the intent of the voter is clearer than with hand-marked paper ballots. That is not true. And Georgians, they say, will better adapt to a system more familiar to the touchscreen machines that have been in use and have, frankly, failed for the last 17 years in Georgia. The unverifiable new systems are already set to be used out here in Los Angeles County for the 2020 elections, shamefully. Delaware has also adopted them statewide, as have counties in Presidential states like uh, key states like Ohio and Pennsylvania, including Philadelphia, where its election commission just voted to adopt them, not to mention parts of Texas. And if Republicans and election officials in Georgia get their way across the entire peach state where the GOP dominated House voted to approve the new systems last week and where a Senate subcommittee held a hearing today, one of the last steps before this measure could be approved and go to the governor's desk, where he has already said he would approve this bill. Joining us now from Atlanta after Monday's hearing uh, in the uh, Georgia State Senate is our old friend and longtime election integrity advocate Marilyn Marks of the nonprofit, nonpartisan Coalition for Good Governance, which has been sounding the alarm about these systems for quite a while. Marilyn, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate your having me. Listen, so I just want to basically get the status. Uh, we've got HB 316 calling for BMDs. It passed uh, ballot marking devices uh, that have passed the Georgia House a week or so ago, now being considered in the state Senate. What's the current status as we go to air today following this uh, committee hearing in the uh, Georgia State Senate today? Right. It was a very brief hearing, Brad. And tomorrow, this bill goes to the full Senate committee that will hear this bill. We have no idea whether they are going to allow the testimony of experts. We have filed a petition with several hundred names uh, filled in over the weekend mm -hmm. of citizens demanding that they actually listen to experts. We proposed six hours of testimony from people like Philip Stark, Rich DeMillo, Alex Halderman, Etc. to try to get these members of mm -hmm. the legislature to understand that these machines, the results cannot be audited. This is going to be a total waste of money, and it is not one bit more secure than the paperless DREs. Um, they, it is unclear whether or not they will permit any facts to be on the table. They are working in a fact-free environment right now. And um, so we will see tomorrow morning. We fear that they, that that will not happen. 
that the Republicans are rushing this through so fast. They know that it stinks, Brad. They know this thing stinks mm. to high heaven, that there is no logical reason anybody would choose this overhand marked paper ballots when the technology is so uncertain, the price tag is enormous, and no one will take time to let the experts speak. All the signs are clearly that there is something going on behind closed doors that is not healthy. And they know that the more that you and Alec Geller and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution mm-hmm. and Freedom Works and others come along and begin to shine a light on what they're doing, you know, the more the chances are that this deal doesn't get done. So thank you for helping shine a light. Um, and it's going to have to happen locally as, as well. But they are rushing it through, hoping to get the deal done before the before the press really gets the hot lights on them. Be, and, and they are already getting those uh, lights on them, finally, a little bit. We talked in the last segment about that uh, article from Eric Geller at Politico, but you mentioned a couple of names, Marilyn, uh, that I want to mention. Uh, Professor Philip Stark, you mentioned, of UC Berkeley. Now, he's the, he's the scientist and the mathematician who invented post-election risk-limiting risk audits. Uh, he wrote a letter to uh, the folks in Georgia last Last week, I think it was, saying that computer ballot marking devices are meaningless, are, that the uh, systems essentially produce something that is worthless when it comes to auditing elections. This is the guy who wrote the protocol for the type of audits that so many people are calling for, that Georgia is calling for. Marilyn, I also want to note that you are a registered Republican, so this is not about uh, you know necessarily Republicans versus Democrats. And, not. and as you noted, FreedomWorks, uh, the far-right Republican... Um, I don't even know what to call them, advocacy groups, I'll, I'll be uh, right. kind, uh, that they are also saying no to these BMDs. So with all of this pressure, how is it even possible? What is the argument that you are hearing from Republicans and Democrats alike who support these systems out there in Georgia when you have virtually every expert now warning against them? And, Brad, it is every expert. It is beyond the, the experts that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. There are a list of, of computer scientists, uh, voting system scientists, um, OSET Institute, mm-hmm. UNIT, and the National Academy of Sciences. They've all weighed in and said, bad idea. OSET well, is the Open Source Election Technology Institute. And, yes, they said right. that uh, there right. are no BMD systems that are verifiable by voters. Okay, go ahead. Right, and then the National Academy of Sciences, when we look at their September report, yeah, they said this technology is uncertain and it's questionable whether voters can verify these. So, um, so what are you it, hearing it, from what's the what's the excuse that lawmakers in Georgia are giving? I heard just this afternoon yet again from a TV station that I did an interview with. Mm-hmm. Oh, Secretary Raffensperger says all those people are wrong. There's a piece of paper that comes out. It's verifiable, and that's good enough. That's as far as they'll go. I mean, there are there are three people saying that they are verifiable, and it's the sponsors and the Secretary of State. You know, it's it's absurd. They but right now, they don't care about the facts. They don't care about the money either. I mean, the 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 numbers that they are throwing out one hundred and fifty million dollars. The thing is going to cost 
far more than that. It's clear. And their numbers are wildly off. No one cares about the facts. They are rushing headlong to do this deal. The facts, the voters, be damned. And And that's about all there is to it. Which is just mind-boggling to me, and I guess I understand what you're saying about they want to rush because at this point, because with this article, which I think is damning, even with you know a few quibbles that I have with it, I think it's damning, and it's on a on a national level now. With Eric Geller saying uh, there is a problem with these systems in Georgia and also Delaware, Philadelphia, etc. How can I, I am just I'm my mind is blown by uh, the notion that these lawmakers, seeing this in the national press, seeing this mountain of we-told-you-sos, essentially, that are just sitting there waiting to be used against them if these systems go south, you have heard no concerns uh, from them about what they, I hope, are reading in places like Politico warning against their own systems? Very little, because apparently they're getting so much pressure from Raffensperger and Governor Kemp to um, get this deal done, that they, I can see it in their eyes, they're worried. I can absolutely see it in their eyes, but that is not showing up in their actions. And we have, as I say, you know, asked for experts to come in and testify. So far, we don't have any assurance that they will. Another, uh, another note, um, Brad, you mentioned mm-hmm. accuracy. They are declaring, and it's absurd, that somehow the touchscreens are more accurate than people hand-marking a bubble on a ballot. Yet, all of the studies, as you well know, mm-hmm. all of the studies have shown year after year that for hand-marking a paper ballot, there's about a 0.6% error. For touchscreen entries, it ranges from about 2.7% to 4.2%. Will they say, hey, touchscreens are more accurate. Touchscreens are 100% accurate. They're getting away with saying that, although there are peer-reviewed studies Mm -hmm. over the years saying that's not true. The whole thing is just completely fact-free. They are claiming that this is safe from cyber attacks. And, you know, uh, Winky Lee, the cybersecurity expert on their safe commission, has told them this is not true. The computer scientist, uh, Rich DeMillo, here has told them that it's not true. And they don't really care about the truth right now. They care about getting this deal done with this vendor. And there's just, I I testified this morning Mm -hmm. to this committee, and I took with me five questions and said, is, you know, is this, for example, can the BMD election results be audited? I gave them a list of who had said yes, and then I gave them a very long list of experts that said no. They don't seem to care. Does and it, I think you're right. It's appalling that they would do this. Does this go back to uh, that that comment that I played at the top of the segment here where uh, Stephanie Abrams was talking about Brian Kemp's, one of his top deputies, used to be a... Uh, uh, worked for ESNS, the nation's largest voting vendor. I mean, is it as as I, I, I don't it doesn't feel to me like it could be as strictly corrupt as that because we have all of these other jurisdictions around the rest of the country who are also moving to these systems. But do, do you have any sense that any of this goes back to that in Georgia and this guy who's now working for uh, Brian for now Governor Brian Kemp, who used to be a top deputy at uh, ESNS? Well, I don't know that gentleman, but what I do know is ESNS is 
everywhere, all over the place. Yeah. And they do have great amount of influence with um, Secretary Kemp and, um, no, excuse me, Governor Kemp and Secretary right. Raffensperger, and have had for years. Um, all I know is they have a lot of influence. They tend to drive um, things around here, and, um, you know, their their lobbyists are strong. And, you know, I it's hard to believe that there is anything driving this deal other than a vendor, because common sense, logic, um, fiscal responsibility um, is clearly absent from all of these things. So yeah. there really is nothing left except to say, well, this is a great deal for the vendor. What that means beyond that, I have no idea. But the only person this deal could possibly make sense to is the vendor and their friends. I'm running late today, Marilyn, so let me wrap up with just a couple of uh, quick questions here. Uh, I have uh, urged folks uh, in the past, and I will do so again today, uh, to support the efforts of the Coalition for Good Governance because you Thank have you. been signing, uh, sounding the alarm on this for a long time before most people noticed at all. And they're still not noticing, but, uh, you know, it's getting better. Uh, CoalitionforGoodGovernance.org. I hope people will uh, stop by and support your efforts because you have filed a lot of key important lawsuits in this case. But uh, above and beyond that, uh, is there anything that those of us not in Georgia can do to either help the effort in Georgia itself or, uh, frankly, in, in uh, you know other jurisdictions where people may live, where elections officials are considering and or already going ahead moving to these same types of systems what can what can voters do outside of georgia at this point well you know um i actually appreciate so much your you're asking for support for our lawsuits because we desperately need that and what we will do in our federal lawsuit brad is that i think we will be incorporating an attempt to stop this deal from happening in our federal lawsuit, because as you Good. know, with that federal lawsuit is an attempt to um, stop electronic voting in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And this is essentially electronic voting in Georgia. Yeah. I'm not promising we, we will absolutely be able to craft it that way, but um, that is our goal right now, so they can help us on that. Good. And then further, um, you know, they could help right now to write the... Um, the president of the Senate, um, who is uh, the lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan, okay. and say, don't do this. And Secretary Raffensperger saying, don't do this. We need Georgia. Georgia's a big state. We need Georgia to have fair and non-corrupted elections. We're all watching you. That would be helpful. And then this federal lawsuit that we have, if we can make this work in Georgia, then it, it should have... Um, uh, at least a, a paralyzing effect for others mm -hmm. who may be considering doing this and then ultimately broader reach. But, you know, others can file lawsuits, but this thing has got to be stopped before we have that next generation of paperless DREs, just as we've called it, son of DREs. Yeah, and we have been, uh, I know you have been making noise about uh, those systems, the the crappy ones that it looked like we were on the verge of getting uh, rid of. You know, we've been stuck with those failing in election after, after election for the last 15 years. 
when a new when these new systems come in and tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars are spent on them, they are also going to stick around for another 10 or 15 years at least. Um, and so the reason that I've been covering this, Maryland, so closely is not just because I'm concerned about Georgia, uh, you know, though a, a potential swing state in the presidential election, I am concerned about that. But I, I know that I suspect at least that your fight has not only been about Georgia either. Why do you think this fight in Georgia is so important to the rest of the country as you see it? Okay, this will be the first state that goes with statewide ballot marking devices. And when other jurisdictions are sitting on the fence and saying, oh, should we really try this new technology? What they're going to hear is, hey, the entire state of Georgia, you know, the um, 7 million voters, if it's good enough for 7 million voters, then it's good enough for this 10,000 um, voter jurisdiction. This is what happened. Uh, Georgia was one of the big problems, as you note, with DREs in 2002. Mm-hmm. Once Georgia did it, too many other people, it became the slippery slope yeah. that people fell down. So this is important to try to stop this here because, um, you know, conversely, Brad, if we stop it here, then in a lot of other places, they'll they will look really hard. Yeah. If Georgia turned it down when they were this close, yeah. then, you know, I think it will help stop it in other places. Yeah, uh, it hasn't helped stop it yet in uh, Los Angeles with, I think, even more voters than the entire state of Georgia, if I'm remembering correctly. So we are, for the moment, stuck with these. Uh, but listen, some good news. We'll take this as good news, Marilyn, that uh, the national media is starting to notice, uh, Politico is starting to notice uh, all of the experts saying no to these systems. And uh, if they are brought in, uh, you know, we're, we're going to know, hey, we did our best and uh, we will be able to point the finger as to who to blame for this coming fiasco, I suspect. Marilyn Marks, uh, stay in touch. As this moves I'll forward, it, and uh, let us know anything that we can do to help you out. Check out Marilyn. Please follow her on the Twitters. She's great there. Marilyn R. Marks. That's M A R K S. The number one. And of course, stop by coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Keep up the good fight, Marilyn. Stay in touch. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Brad. You bet. Okay, I got to get out too here. Yes. I'm running late. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. Always good to hear from you. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I hope you will find, follow, and share what we do here on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where you can find me at the Brad blog. As ever, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. You are the only ones who keep us going. So thanks in advance. If you haven't stopped there lately, bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.